This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements and the stories that have been forgotten. We're into the second episode of season two. That's yeah. after 1990. Kind of really got the ball rolling in fine style, I thought. It did. It was a great It was year. a really solid year. And, you know, we've moved out of the 80s. All the sort of questionable music, we've left that behind. Sorry to all those 80s music fans. Quirky fashion and, and obviously some great films, some beloved films. Oh, but yeah. mm-hmm. we saw last year with Home Alone and Goodfellas that the 90s was a, an also a very sort of strong, strong year, or at least 1990 was, for films. How is 19... 19- 91 going to fare and each decade will have a champion year 1985 is the champion year for the 80s we're going to pick one from the 90s the noughties and the 10s and then we're going to have tournament style style semi-finals and final draw to crown a champion year on time capsule so let's start with some international events as we always like to do Mm. on the time capsule for 1991 the five-week gulf war started and finished this year president bush announced that a ceasefire had been reached and declared that kuwait was free and that saddam hussein's iraqi army had been defeated straight off the bat i'm embarrassed i did not know the gulf war lasted and i say just don't want to demean that nor did i five weeks of war nor did i it is interesting though that the soviet union was dissolved that year and And i couldn't believe and that this would be a great quiz question name the 14 countries that gained their independence upon the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And I I tell you what, I'd come up with about three probably. Rattle through them. Go on then. Armenia, Azerbaijan, Belarus, Estonia, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Latvia, Lithuania, Moldova, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Ukraine and Uzbekistan. Wow. Wow. Couldn't believe that. Wow. That is um, amazing. Um, but listen, we want to sort of get to the more important stuff. And, <laughs> and this one is... is more important pro- than that, yeah. Th- this one, and you'll pardon the pun here, but this takes the cake because the British government had to clearly define the difference between a cake and a biscuit. It's a, it's a story that we've touched upon on-off script in the past, and it was involving McVitie's Jaffa Cakes. Yeah. Uh, they'd been making them since 1927. It all came down to tax yeah. at the end of the day. Now, um, Jaffa Cakes were called cakes, but the UK law was that biscuits were a luxury item and that a full VAT would be levied, V-A-T. Cakes, on the other hand, were regarded as a staple food, and no one could quite get the definition of a cake. A massive legal team came in to sort this out after the British government essentially tried to tax McVitie's for biscuits when Jaffa cakes, according to them, were cakes. I mean, team of lawyers, you'll never guess where this got down to. Because the McVitie's QC highlighted how cakes harden when they go stale and biscuits go soggy. And that was the ultimately the definition. This is what the army of lawyers concluded. And to arrive at this point, they baked a 12-inch Jaffa cake. Yeah, that's right. Unbelievable. (laughs) Uh, They presented it in court. Can you imagine (laughs) that? Like in court, like, you know, where there's murders and robberies and all sorts. And some bloke just walks in with a (laughs) 12-inch Jaffa cake. Your Honour. Behold, this has gone soggy, ergo, it's a cake. Do you think they all (laughs) tasted it? Uh, Can you imagine them all taking a little piece of it? Probably, yeah, a little piece of the, a little piece of the cake. But uh, right, moving on. Twenty paintings were stolen from the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. Um, 
it was an interesting one because it didn't last very long, this particular crime. April the 14th, 1991, a thief emerged from the bathroom wearing a ski mask and wielding a gun. They took 20 Van Gogh paintings, including the most famous of which was The Potato Eaters, which was his depiction of rural Dutch poverty. And they left the Van Gogh Museum in one of the guards' cars. They made it as far as the Amsterdam Amstel railway station. They'd planned a rendezvous with another getaway car, but they got a tyre puncture no. and had to abandon. They left the paintings in the car, fled the scene, and were later all apprehended. They got a puncture. Wow. Yeah, they would have got away with 20 Van Gogh paintings were it not for a flat tyre. Okay, where else are we going? Uh, We're going to go to the first printing of the US Declaration of Independence. A man who bought a painting, an old painting, for $4, okay, he bought it um, at uh, a kind of, you know, one of those arts and crafts kind of fairs. It turns out that it concealed a copy of the Declaration of Independence that was printed wow. on July the 4th, 1776, <gasps> and it ultimately sold at auction for $2.4 million. The president of Sotheby's wow. said that it was um, the most important single printed page in the world, presented in the most spectacularly beautiful condition. He, only, he got it at a flea market in Adamstown in Philadelphia. And the owner of the painting wanted to be wanted to remain anonymous, but uh, it turns out that a friend of his who collects Civil War memorabilia said that looks like it's genuine. It was tucked in behind the painting, and he took it to have it appraised. And sure enough, it was a genuine copy of the Declaration of Independence. That is unbelievable. And he only got—I say only—it's a yeah. lot of money. Two point four. You would expect more, right? Yes. For a piece you, you look at how much NFTs are selling for right now, digital art memes. Exactly. And you yeah. compare it to the you know Declaration of Independence and actual historical And it document. got me thinking about Sue the T-Rex, the perfect skeleton mm. of the Tyrannosaurus Rex that was sold for $8 million. And I was thinking, you can get a Jackson Pollock for about 240 and that's just splurges of paint. Yeah. An entire... T- nothing against Jackson Pollock, by the way. I mean, that's In case you're listening, that, Jackson. That, that, that is <laughs> somewhat demeaning to his work, but... That's worth two hundred and forty million, yeah. and a perfect skeleton of a Tyrannosaurus Rex is worth eight. Who's valuing that? Yeah. That's got to be one of the most valuable things on this planet, is it well, not? No. A sixty-five million-year-old skeleton of a dinosaur versus a bloke who just went there. You go, drip painted a bit. <laughs> two hundred and fifty million. It's, it's mental. It's a fair point. Art is crazy. Yeah. It is. You know, stick a banana on the wall. Hundred mil. <laughs> Find a T Rex. Just. I'll give you eight. No more, no less. I love it. HP introduced the first colour scanner, which kind of blows my mind because I would have thought they would have come out way before 1991. The first colour scanner. I think they were obsolete before they even came out, weren't they? (laughs) they Uh, It was retailing at $1,995 when it first came out. Meanwhile, 54 tornadoes swept across six Midwestern states in just one day. So that would have been great for Twister. And uh, this one really got me. Global salsa sales surpassed that of ketchup for the first time ever. And I don't have the figures, but they did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, let's dive straight into this because there's loads of movies to reflect on in a, what I think is a very good year for them. Highest grossing movie of 1991. It's got to have a claim to be one of the greatest sci-fi action films of all time. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy. He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. Is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? 
Is that a knockoff trailer you found there, Rob? <laughs> no, well, I think it's the original face, trailer. Chris. I've never heard That's that. That's one of your favourite movies. I love it, but had I watched the trailer first, I might have not actually bought the movie. <laughs> no, these, the, the, like these, the, these are the 1990s, Chris. Yeah. Oh you know, tra- trailers, as producer Scotty's pointing out, were not the best back then. And I think the same bloke voiced all of them. Yeah. yeah. There were 1991, <laughs> and there were two. <laughs> you had a real monopoly on the market. <laughs> yeah, that he really guy. did. Yeah. So that budget was the highest budget that ever had been spent on a film, $102 million. Now, in the US alone, it grossed $204.8 million. Worldwide, 519 It was the highest-grossing film of 91. It beat Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. The original Terminator only made $38 million in the US, which meant that that 434% increase was a record for a sequel. And James Cameron was the director of yeah. Terminator 2. He loves pushing the envelope. Mm. He got the biggest budget for Terminator 2, he got the biggest budget for Titanic, and then he got the biggest budget for Avatar. Yeah. And he's about to get the biggest budget for Avatar 2. And most of those movies known for being amongst the top grossing yeah. of all time. So that paid, in between, he went to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. So yeah. he's been busy, as Fair James play. Cameron. There was actually, I found out there was a short-lived T two comic miniseries. Now you can actually buy this on Amazon for nineteen ninety-five dollars. So it's not exactly appreciated in value no. over the years. Second biggest movie of the year. It spawned in turn the biggest song of the year. It was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and as mentioned many times on this show, Kevin Costner's British accent was a thing of beauty. I for one would rather die than to spend my life in hiding. The sheriff calls us outlaws. But I say we are free. And one free man defending his home is more powerful than ten hired soldiers. Crusades taught me. Now, I used to think Sonal Rapani's British accent was the worst <laughs> Wait, thing going. Guys, but that's not a British accent. He's just, just speaking. He's just not making any attempts. That's just Kevin Costner's accent. Exactly. <laughs> that's all that is. That's and, not a bad British accent. Way, that's just his actual a, accent. A bit of foreshadowing of Braveheart there with that little speech little. from Kevin Costner. Not as dramatic as Mel Gibson's. No, absolutely um, not. And not, not met with as much enthusiasm or, in all honesty. Or gusto. Uh, but Alan Rickman, he was obviously the, the sheriff oh, yeah. of Nottingham in this film. A brilliant, brilliant part that he played. And basically, they, I found out they offered him carte blanche with the role because they were desperate for him to play it and he was very sceptical at the time so I clipped up one of his best lines Cancel the kitchen scraps for lepers and orphans No more merciful beheadings And call off Christmas it's a great line. Huh? It's such a weird film, that. It really is. But uh, that was indeed the second biggest movie of the year. Now, Rickman's performance, it was not the only captivating portrayal of a psychotic oh. madman this year. Uh, and if T2 was one of the greatest sci-fi movies, this has got to be one of the greatest psychological thrillers. That expires in one week. You're not real FBI, are you? I'm still in training at the Academy. Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me. Yes, I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you. Maybe you can decide for yourself whether or not I'm qualified enough to do that. Mm-hmm. That is rather slippery of you, Agent Starling. Amazing film. Yeah, it's really good. It's do creepy you know just watching it. By the way, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins, Welsh. Yes, yes. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. He was always on the shortlist to play Hannibal Lecter. By the way, Sean Connery was the first to be given the script, and very old school Sean Connery. He turned down the part of Lecter. He thought it was disgusting, and he wouldn't dream of playing the part of a cannibal killer. Anthony Hopkins, meanwhile, he actually took his inspiration for the the role for some very strange places. He channeled Truman Capote and Catherine Hepburn for The Voice. 
and the murderous supercomputer Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wow. That was kind of his inspiration for the role. He appeared only for 16 minutes in the entire one hour and 58 minutes screen time and he still won the Oscar for Best Actor. And that was controversial at the time because he'd only appeared for 16 16 minutes minutes in the film, but it was such a powerful performance that... He was given an Oscar the following year. Now, uh, Macaulay Culkin was back at it after his Home Alone success. He was in fine form for this healthy dollop of nostalgia. That's my best friend, Veda Saltenfuss. Veda and Thomas. Most of the girls don't appreciate her. I always surround myself with people who I find intellectually stimulating. A lot of the guys are a little afraid of her. Okay, lean forward. But she's more fun to be around than anyone I know. Great movie. It's, I've not actually... I think I've only seen half of it, the end half of My Girl. I need to watch that in its entirety. Macaulay Culkin was paid $1 million following his appearance in Home Alone the previous year. And the movie's marketing campaign used the slogan, Mac is back. <laughs> <laughs> did I actually? Yeah, they really did. Um, now, Vader Saltenfoos was played by Anna Chlumsky. Yeah. And um, basically the, the plot goes that she grew up in 1972 with her dad, Harry, who was played by Dan Aykroyd. Uh, the, he was the manager of the family funeral parlour. And it was each other's, Culkin and Chlumsky's, first on-screen kiss culture filming and both of them said that the whole experience was incredibly gross and it took them 15 takes to complete (laughs) can you imagine that's horrible being 10 years old and having your first kiss on a camera yeah weird huh kids i guess yeah no big deal anna schlumsky by the way which is quite a mouthful to say ended up on uh, veep no way brilliant show still not watched it yeah she uh, was one, fantastic in My Girl, in fairness. One more film clip for you. Keanu Reeves, he'd moved on from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure to star with Patrick Swayze in the surfing crime classic, Point Break. Love it. Johnny has his own demons. Don't you, Johnny? The ex-presidents are surfers. Feel what the wave is doing. Then accept its energy, get in sync, and in charge with it. You two have produced exactly squat, during which time the ex-presidents have robbed two more banks. I can't describe what I'm feeling. This was never about money for us. It was about us against the system. The trailers are so bad. That's what yeah, I'm realising. Seriously. But what a movie. I mean, it was, it was so good. It was I so rewatched bad it. Points. I mean, it's not aged brilliantly, no, I have to say, no. but I rewatched it the other day. Keanu. Uh, I enjoyed it again. Uh, Thelma and Louise was Brad Pitt's first major film role in that year, and he only got that part after Billy Baldwin pulled out. Interesting. Which was interesting. Then other movies of note, we don't have clips, but Cape Fear, Amazing. Hook, JFK, Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping with the Enemy, oh. Hot Shots, which was a parody of Top Gun. Sleeping with the Enemy, Julia Roberts. That is a classic. Uh, Sleeping with the Enemy is a frightening movie. I'll explain it to you. Uh, we just finish on movies and, and this one from TV, okay? Home Improvement and Dinosaurs debuted in the oh US. Bottom and British Empire came out in the UK, but undoubtedly the hit phenomenon of 1991 was this. I see why he cheat. I see why. Oh, you see why he yep. cheat. Is he still alive, Jenny Springer? <laughs> I think, yeah, he definitely is. This out. is what blew my mind looking into this. He had a long political career prior to the show's debut. He served as the mayor of Cincinnati in the late 1970s. And he recently revealed that he hated the Jerry Springer show and considered it just a job 
while being fully aware of the ridiculous subject matter. So no. we all agree that it was very strong for films. Vintage. Really strong uh, for films. And I think it's the best year so far that we've done for music as well. And I'll let you guys obviously be the judge of that. But, you know, into the 1990s, music was diversifying. It was moving away from what had been kind of defined by an 80s style. And there were various different other kind of genres that were emerging at the time. This was the birth of the grunge era, mm. which lasted all the way up until the kind of mid, mid, middle of the decade, the mid-90s. And several notable albums were released, the most significant of which was this one. Absolutely no doubt about that. Played on every jukebox. Yeah. Certainly when I was yeah. at uni, this was the most popular song ever selected on a jukebox. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard it. Kind of just that intro Brilliant. gets you every time. Yeah. every time. It puts you in a mood. And this was, like, reading into it, this was basically Nirvana's kind of... Uh, this was their sort of rejection of the 80s style. Yeah. Mm. It was It was kind of... They, were, they actually knocked Michael Jackson's Dangerous off the top of the charts in the early part of 1992. And that kind of completed their rise where Kurt Cobain was kind of shying away from publicity. He hated the idea of being famous. And obviously we found out from Dave McLean, the manager, what he was like and what they were like and how big a fan they were of ABBA, which to me doesn't make sense because ABBA kind of defined the sort of 70s and 80s in that style. But um, they were kind of the the absolute antithesis of the sort of 80s glitz and glamour. Mm. Nevermind was the album that really did spark that kind of genre mm. and it saw a lot of other bands and kind of follow suit uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers released Blood Sugar Sex Magic it's amazing to think that was 91 as yeah. well I would have said that was later I would have thought so too I would have thought that was like 96, 97 yeah, a bit surprised yeah. by that 91 Metallica brought out their eponymous album U2 they came out with Actung Baby. Yeah, they did. Uh, Guns and Roses, Use Your Illusion. Um, and elsewhere, let's move on to what we were listening to quite a bit last week, the sort of old school hip hop kind of mm-hmm. dance movement continuing to flourish. These are brilliant. I found these. This is by Heavy D and the Boys featuring Aaron Hall. appears in a movie i can't for the life of me remember uh but yeah this again um this is another classic of the same kind of style this is naughty by nature opp I think that appears in Friends with Benefits. Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake. How much better is this than 80s music? I'm sorry. Sorry to all those fans (laughs) of slow ballads, but I think we all remember this one as well. immediately think of the computer game NBA Jam. <laughs> well, probably because that was the official song. It might have been, but for some Amazing reason. that this came out a year after the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was brought out. 
What, this was after? Yeah, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Will Smith, remember we did him on biographies once where we covered, he had a really interesting story where he was completely broke when yeah. he got into the Fresh Prince. And then maybe this helps spark that helps yeah, spark his he owed, music career um, again. Loads of money Hitch. to the IRS, mm. didn't he? Yeah. All of these such feel good songs. Yeah, I'm in a good right? mood right now. Yeah. Let's move to mainstream pop, okay? Brian Adams, obviously we spoke about him um with the very long running number one Everything I Do, I Do It For You, which was linked to Robin Hood, the Prince of Thieves. He also released this doozy. Yeah. Such a cheesy day. If you're in the car, you'd be sitting in the back as young me nipper as I was, and then mum would put on this, and you'd actually find yourself in the back I of the car this. swaying along <laughs> to it. I love I could name at least eight songs that I love that Brian Adams did, which is sort of a guilty pleasure, I won't lie. You know what? We all enjoy a little Brian Adams. We we have said it before on the show. Producer Scotty, that's your mission. You know what? You just we need to send him an email, say that we are his number one fans. We play him an awful lot on the show. <laughs> and we need to get Brian Adams on off script, I feel. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Um this was nineteen ninety one. This was the year that Freddie Mercury passed away. Um and Queen released this tribute. So much go! And it is amazing to think it was only six years after Live Aid. Yeah, that he passed away. And that iconic performance. Amazing, that. That is... His deterioration was was very quick. It was, yeah. He, He announced, obviously, that he had the illness and then... I think a few weeks later, he passed away. Um, finally, we have to give the last clip to one of our favourite off-script guests. Oh, yes. Don't tell me I know best. I'm not the same as all the rest. I am one and only. Still my karaoke tune, that one is. I first learned about that song when I met you guys. I'd never heard of it before, but it's really grown on me. <laughs> Has it? <laughs> yes. Oh, we love Chesney on off script. <laughs> it's grown but, on me. Uh, yeah, that song is an interesting one. He admits he had a love-hate relationship, but of course, now I think he... Yeah, and you know, it's amazing it. that in 1991 you had Chesney Hawks and Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. It's, I tell you what, in terms of diversity, one of the things that I think you could point the fingers of the 80s, whether you like them or not, and obviously it's all personal preference, but there were some, certainly in the mid-80s, it felt like every song sounded the same. Mm. And we sort of scoured the kind of landscape to try and find, but it was everything was kind of pigeonholed like in that, that kind of... Like that slow ballad. Ballady and kind of all that kind of disco sort of sound, mm. whereas it seems like music was kind of branching out mm. in the 1990s, obviously with grunge, hip-hop, more kind of mainstream pop. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Right then, Robert, you always leave sport to last. And I often think that is the separator between good and great. Sporting year, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I don't think it was a stellar one. A Rugby World Cup and a bizarre golfing breakthrough were kind of, for me, the sort of headline uh, kind of events. But as it happens, 1991 turned out to be the greatest year in history... For the long jump. Get in the long jump. Carl Lewis battling Mike Powell in Tokyo World Athletic Championships and the latter eventually registered a jump that remains a world record to this day. We really went for that one. That's huge! 
That's got to be close to Carl Lewis's new figures of 8.91. Oh my goodness, 8 metres 95. That is history in the making. That's a world record by 5 centimetres. Beeman's figures have disappeared off the record books forever. It is astonishing. The two guys both broke it and they were duelling one another in the same event. Is that because, again, it's a bit, maybe not got enough time to debate and deliberate why that is, but Mike Powell's record has stood since 1991. Jonathan Edwards in the triple jump. I remember he set that Gothenburg. 96. 96 still stands. Yeah, 1991, 8.95 metres. When you think about how far that is, that's a, that is ridiculous. That yeah. is ridiculous that a man can jump 8.95 metres. It is, actually. Yeah. So you use a springboard. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's beyond comprehension, for sure. It really is. I mean, that's nearly 30 feet. It's, it's insane. It is incredible. Um, and yeah, who knows when, when that, I mean, surely it will ultimately be broken one time, but I feel like there's less emphasis on the long jump now. That's what I'm saying. I feel like more, I think, I feel like top athletes don't focus on the long jump. Like they used to, I mean, Carl up. Lewis used to, he, he won yeah. the sprint championships and he would then do the long jump. I remember there was some talk that Usain Bolt might actually look to do likewise and Interesting. Try and tailor himself into the long jump. But how many kids are growing up now? He's thinking, too big, he's too heavy the for triple the long jump. jump. Mm. You know, Jonathan. Edwards. So you look at Mike Powell. I mean, watching that footage, he's extremely tall, but he's he's very kind of leggy. There's nothing mm. of him. Usain Bolt is a is a powerfully built guy, whereas Mike Powell was. I mean, he was beanpole, a beanpole, an absolute beanpole. But so yeah, eight point nine five meters. It was the second playing of the Rugby World Cup, and hosts England made it to the final. I hate to say it, Chris. They beat Scotland nine six right. in the semi-finals. They were down twelve six in the final by Australia. Good on the Aussies. And that's it. The final whistle goes. Australia said from day one they weren't coming here to run second and they've taken the trophy. They gave it everything. As always, nobody could fault their determination. Prop Tony Daly scored the only try of a poor match. The Aussies had beaten the All Blacks 16-6 in the semis and um, England, yeah, it was, it was a poor World Cup in all honesty. I looked at some of the results. In golf, another Daly... Wild thing, John Daly announced himself in spectacular fashion at the PGA Championship. Daly was originally the ninth alternate, but as more players dropped out, he drove from his home in Memphis, arriving in Crooked Stick, Indiana, very late on Wednesday night, and with good news awaiting him. Got in about 2, two o'clock that morning at the Homewood Suites, I think it was, and I saw that light blinking, I knew something good's got to be coming of it, and uh, boom, we just, we just did it. <laughs> And boom, he went on to win it. Yeah, he did. 1991 would follow it up in 95 by winning the Open Championship. Amazing. The idea of a golfer being christened Wild Thing. Oh, John Daly. Oh, yeah, My Life In and Out of the Rough. Read that book. Really? Oh, I mean, the man is... He used to eat, like, 17 packets of M&Ms a day. He used to smoke, I think, four packets of cigarettes per round. That's why he's done the wild he, thing. He was an extraordinary character. Huh. The, the book through is through the night to play as a what sixth, eighth, uh, eight, eighth, and the ninth alternate, ninth alternate, wasn't he? That's uh, amazing. In tennis, the year belonged to Monica Seles. She won the French Open to become the youngest ever player to win at Roland Garros. She won three slams in '91 to finish the year as the world's number one, ending Steffi Graf's 186 weeks as number one. Stefan Edberg won his first U.S. Open title, one of six Grand Slam 
victories. It was a year full of controversy. Mike Tyson was arrested, charged and convicted of a crime that we're not going to go into. And Diego Maradona was suspended for drug, for drug use. European Cup, yeah. Red Star Belgrade yeah. won it on penalties after a nil-nil. Sounds drab, sounds awful, against Marseille. Both of them were first-time finalists. Arsenal won the league in England, Barca won it in Spain, and Sampdoria, featuring yeah. the likes of Gianluca Vialli, Roberto Mancini, and Attilio Lombardo, won Serie A. Ashraf has pointed out, and I, I, full, I take full responsibility for this, Ashraf, the Chicago Bulls' first yeah. of the kind of dynasty Bulls in the Jackson. 1990s. Yeah. The first of six wins, wasn't it? Yeah, six, two, three. two sets of three. Yeah, exactly like the three-peat. They, um, they beat the Los Angeles Lakers in the 1991 NBA Finals in five games. It was their first ever championship in franchise history, inspired, of course, by Michael Jordan. And it was the first of the three-peats. Oh, yes, indeed it was. And then Michael Jordan, of course, then just catapulted himself into superstardom. So the year is 1991. I am going to give it an eight and a half. So, no, you did say seven. I did say seven. Fad's given it six. <laughs> Sonny's given it six. Someone else, no name on it, has given it 7.5. You, Robbie, said what? Uh, I said it was an eight, and uh, someone else has given Dra- it a ten. Yeah, Dragan has given it a rare ten. I'm liking Dragan, walking 10. in Memphis yeah. plus Red Star Belgrade winning the UEFA Champions League or the European Cup as it was back then can only be a ten. So a Serbian listener this evening, I like that. And I've added it all up, and what we have so far for 1991 is a seven point six eight. Which means 1990 beats it. Yeah, interesting. I prefer 91, but listen. To each their own. Absolutely. Apples and oranges and all that. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.